welcome to the Plastic Press Gang podcast. This time with much fewer technical issues, but more scheduling issues. But here we are. We're on time. You get what you pay for. Anyway, my name is Calvin. I use he, him pronouns. And I don't know anything about today's subject. And I'm Eric. I also use he, him pronouns. And I know just enough about today's subject to be dangerous. Yee. What is today's subject, Calvin? Well, we're going to get to that in a bit. But the general idea is we're going to be talking about some 3D printing, which I'll go into more detail later. But first, we're going into what we're working on right now. Um, I'm going to let you go first because I need... You need time to compile your full list and for me to make fun of you? Uh, So yeah. Uh, the, the slow hobbyist uh, in the group, Eric, has uh, honestly not been doing much, and if you just include historicals, has been doing nothing at all. So I am prepping to go to the Nova Open, where I'm playing uh, all of Games Workshop's more obscure games, which is an exciting thing. Uh, but unfortunately, part of that was I told myself I had several months to paint two Titans for Adeptus Titanicus. And I was pretty sure one of them was like 75% done, just needed some like finishing, polishing off, and then it would be done. Uh, that was absolutely not true. Both of them were almost completely not started yet. And so for the past uh, month or so, I've been frantically painting them because uh, as I want to do, I went, oh, I've got like three months until Nova. And then I went, oh, I've got like two months until Nova. And then uh, this was promptly uh, ended by me going, wait, Nova's when? Uh, so I have been frantically painting the, both of those for the Titanicus event there. And that's really all the hobby progress I have. So Calvin, uh, let's get started with you. Oh boy, have I done a lot. So I was originally, I was trying to be very focused because like I sat down, I wrote a list for what I want to do for the year um, because I was inspired to write a list of everything I wanted to do by a podcast. Uh, I guess like we, we can shout out Hobby Support Group. They're awesome people over there. They're very fun to listen to. Um, but I, first off, I did actually get a lot of progress done. I've been doing a lot of my sharp practice French army for Napoleonic Wars. I've been doing that live on my Twitch channel and my goal is to have every model in that force at least partially painted on stream and so far I've been able to do that so I painted actually yesterday I painted six voltigeurs for the force the officers are all done the guard is all done so now I just have to do a cannon crew and three units of line infantry and then that's a decent sized force for that game that's the one that was like on the list of things I need to do then I got distracted and I bought things like the Rubicon Vietnam uh, kit just to test them out and potentially use them for Chain of Command Vietnam edition. And they're beautiful to paint. I've got a test model in front of me. And then I got distracted again and I started work on a little diorama of uh, the taking of a French banner at Waterloo. It's like halfway done. Then I got distracted and I got into uh, Majestic 13 and bought some U.S. Marines for that. They're actually done. So that project's done. I don't have to worry about that one. Sweet. Check something off the list. All the terrain does still need to be done for it, though. Oh, yeah. I got my Franco-Prussian War first unit of some chasseurs. Uh, Piet. One of my partners is going to be bad with me for mispronouncing that, but whatever. Um, then I also painted uh, the Victory at Sea USS Arizona. So that's my desk at work. That was one of the Warlord freebies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it makes me want to start Victory at Sea because tiny diesel boats. Then I, I told myself I was going to finish my Black Powder French. I didn't. Uh, instead... I went and I found some new rule books to look at because that's exactly what I needed. So I bought or the most recent one that is coming in tomorrow is also the result of a partner giving me an idea of I was like talking about like what kind of stuff are you interested in? And they mentioned like ancient Greek warfare. And so I went looking and I found a book called Men of Bronze. So I bought it and I'm looking at it and going, what? That don't be too bad to make an army for. But those are all the projects I've done. There's also a few more coming up in the form of uh, Grey for Now Games release an expansion to their 0200 hours game of Commando Raids. And the most recent expansion they released was Desert Raids. So, Which is extremely your vibe. Yeah. And so I bought the big pre-order box, which is the starter, like the expansion box for Desert Raids, all the extra models. And just like, yes. Yes. And then I also, Warlord also bit me because they're like, hey, the Soldier of Fortune that we did this month is David Sterling. Kind of a horrific piece of shit. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, but also not a, not a great guy. Not a great guy, but definitely has a dude's rock moment. So yeah, it sounds like you've got works in progress. Yeah, like at some point I might share the whole list with you, but like things on the list include uh, my Landsnex, an epic 
French army and the very, now I'm looking at it, slightly distressingly vague square of North Africa stuff. So that should be fun. Sweet. Um, and then added to this list, um, I did make some hobby progress on behalf of someone else. Uh, someone in our club, uh, I was showing him uh, Silver Bayonet, and it is extremely his jam. And so for a wedding gift, I may have bought him the makings of a Russian war band for that. Um, so you're, you're welcome, Rob. And so yeah, uh, so basically works in progress for both of us. I am hoping after Nova uh, to get started finishing up my Pikeland's Lament Swedes and then starting my epic push of Pike Swedes. Yes, because we recently had a new member join the club who had it, and so... Yep, Kai, if you're listening, welcome to the club. You're awesome. We're very excited to have you. And yeah, super super hyped that you have tiny 15mm pikemen. Because yeah, the more the merrier. All right, so with that whole hobby adventure taken care of, it is time for what we're actually talking about this episode, which is 3D printing. Specifically for the use in like historical wargaming, but this could also be like wargaming in general. And so we're going to start with the Socratic questioning of what is 3D printing? So the idea behind 3D printing is what's called additive manufacturing is the, the very pretentious name for it, which is essentially that you're building stuff um, from the ground up. And basically the like short version of it is you get cool like Star Trek replicators, but uh, less detailed. So there's two general types of 3D printing. Um, there's what's called FDM uh, 3D printing, which is where you take filament that's essentially uh, spooled up pieces of plastic. And if you imagine, the best analogy I can come up with is if you imagine like having a hot glue gun and just sort of slowly building a box out of hot glue. Uh, imagine doing that very fast and very small and you have an FDM 3D printer. It is essentially melting plastic, uh, pushing it down a nozzle and depositing it on a plate and slowly building something up from there. That's what most people think of when they, if you say like 3D printer, that's I think what, what comes to mind when, when you say that. The other uh, 3D printer technology that people use, there's a bunch of different ones, but these are the consumer ones, is uh, resin 3D printing, which is where essentially you have a resin that's sensitive to UV light and it's sitting in a tray and Below that tray is essentially a glorified cell phone uh, screen. And what happens is, is a, a plate comes down, it presses up against the, the screen uh, with just a very, very, very thin layer of resin between them. Uh, it shines a UV light, the resin cures to the build plate, it pulls up uh, and then just that multiple times. And you essentially build a model essentially upside down. Uh, but it's it's really rather fun because you get this model essentially emerging from gray goo, like you're some sort of sorcerer and it's it's great fun. And those are, those are the two types people are talking about so like it comes down to like kind of what is what's a use case for each of these yeah so the use case for each of these is is something that comes up a lot is people will be like okay i want to get into 3d printing what kind of printer should i buy and on now often they mean resin or fdm or a filament printer and the answer is well it depends um, if you want to do miniatures, so you want to you want to have tiny toy soldier dudes, um, I would suggest a resin printer. They are much 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 more detailed. Uh, the detail for them can be something like 0.02 millimeters or 0.05 millimeters per layer. So you get very, very detailed miniatures. Um, and these are indeed what a lot of companies are going to for uh, building their original masters for plastic kits. There are even some companies whose entire production line is 3D printed. Death Ray Designs and their Steel Rift game is 3D printed. They don't provide you the files, they print the models and send them to you. Uh, so that's resin printing, is it does detail very well. Now there are some downsides to resin printing that make it not great for terrain. Um, one is that uh, resin terrain uh, will take can take a fairly long time because you need a fairly big printer and that's one of the issues is is to print big pieces of terrain you need a large resin printer and in my experience beginners uh, struggle a little bit with larger format uh, resin printers because basically all the various things about the physics of resin printing so leveling the plate against the the screen and the force at which the sort of thin film that separates them which is usually sort of a uh, it's not ptfe uh, i can't remember what it is right now uh, fep i do not remember what the chemical uh, abbreviation for that is but that film that has to separate so essentially you pull the model the model is bonded to both the film and the build plate and the build plate pulls up and in the tug of war the build plate needs to win the bigger your build plate the weirder that physics gets because 
in physics and math. Um, and so people tend to have a bigger problem with that. Um, and the other issue is just resin is relatively speaking expensive, uh, which doesn't really matter much when you're printing out tiny toy soldiers. It does when you like try to print out a whole castle. Um, and the third reason I don't particularly like it for resin, uh, for terrain printing is resin uh, often struggles with very precise geometric shapes. Uh, especially on sort of the, the bottom of whatever is being printed. So the, the side closest to the build plate, there's there's again all kinds of issues. There's all kinds of reasons as to why, but you often get sort of slightly warped corners and one side of your, your object is going to be sort of not gross and a little bit out of spec, which is a, a little bit of a pain. So it involves a lot of sanding. So that's uh, resin printing is, is the real use case for it, in my opinion, is things. So for example, my resin printer, I print little airplanes for like Aeronautica Imperialis, actual soldiers, especially useful for like uh, skirmish games and small games where you'd be like, okay, I need five samurai. I'm just going to print out five samurai. And also bits. So bits to help customize uh, models for various games. There's lots of like, oh, there's weapon packs and there's cool new things. So while this is a historical podcast, I have custom armor plates on some of my Adeptus Titanicus figures. And like for my Horus Heresy army, my Imperial Fist Seekers who have special cool bolters that Games Workshop doesn't sell a special cool bolter for. Uh, I found a bolter with like a drum magazine that I was like, okay, this is this is the new special bolter. Uh, so it's really good for that. On the other hand, for FDM printers, they are very good for terrain because they print large objects with flat bottoms very well. And most terrain is large objects with flat bottoms. So um, they just do a good job. Uh, you can set them to be reasonably detailed, although a the best resin printer will always beat the best FDM printer and getting an FDM printer dialed up to be anywhere near the quality of a resin printer is very, very difficult and will make FDM printing glacially slow. So really, um, for me, you know, things that can get away with a little bit less detail, so terrain, things like that, all work really well for FDM. There are people who print figures on FDM printers. I think they're a little bit crazy and that requires a level of commitment to fine tuning and dial your settings in that I am, quite frankly, too lazy to do. So the short version is uh, figures, get resin, terrain, get FDM, or be like me and just buy both. Well, I mean, like I'm just looking around right now, like from my desk, and I can see a couple different pieces of FDM terrain and a couple 3D printed figures from resin. But then also I look over and one of my examples is my trees that I have for Last War or anything vaguely fantasy slash weird. Those are a mix of both resin and FDM, where some of the weirder branches I know you printed in FDM, or in, uh, sorry, resin, but they are yeah, so, primarily filament. Yeah, you can definitely do that. There's some uh, various various folks who design files have started recognizing that like, or maybe both. So like you can print most of a wall, like just a brick wall in FDM because that's really easy and really fast and you're not really worried about detailed textures. And then the gate is printed out of resin or uh, in the case of your trees, those are, yeah, the, the spindly little branches at the top, uh, which are perfect for resin printing. Those are 3D printed in resin. And then the, the big body of the tree itself is printed in FDM. There's a, a piece of terrain I made jokingly referred to as the Grimdark Maginot Hill Fort for, for 40K that is a, a resin artillery, sort of the the barrel and, and sort of breach is set into a FDM printed hill because again, I just need sort of a bunch of plastic in a hill shape and then all the little details on it. So the vents and the door and things like that where you'd have that built into a bunker. Those are again, like little bits of resin. So it's definitely possible to combine them. This is especially true for like terrain pieces. It's it's great for terrain to have like the bulk of it printed in, in very cheap, very lightweight plastic filament and then put some resin bits on it to add um, sort of detail and scale hints and things like that. Yeah, so our next kind of question is like what what's a good like starter project let's go with like one example that you could do for like hey i've never i've gotten the like the test print out of the way i know the machine works what are good first things to try to print? Yeah, uh, so that's another sort of really good question because I think a lot of people, as you mentioned, sort of get that first test print done. So for like the weird uh, FDM printers, it's classically a, a boat called a Benchy. Um, for resin printers, it's often some very weird looking geometric shape that an FDM printer definitely couldn't do. So it looks really cool. Um, and like, okay, I've got that done. Now what do I do next? Um, and I think people then immediately go like, I'm going to print a whole 40K army. And that's sort of a mistake in my mind. 
for uh, resin printers, I think one of the things is to, to go to one of the sites that we'll, we'll mention later, a place like My Mini Factory, find a couple pre-supported figures for something and just try to print those and get a feel for how those work. Don't jump into really big projects, you know, where you're like, okay, I'm gonna use like an entire vat of resin to make this bust of Iron Man. Obviously, like when those fail, they fail really hard. And so I would look for pre-supported models because as you learn how to support models in uh, resin printing, which is essentially how to connect the model you have to this complicated build plate mechanism in a way where essentially the individual pixels that are the resin being created are connected to each other because everything has to be connected. That's a that's a hard process. And so I think getting something that's pre-supported will help you get started on that. I think this is especially good, like an especially good project would be uh, the first couple characters for like a war band uh, for something like Stargrave or Frostgrave, uh, where you're like, okay, I need like, find me a pilot or something like that. Or like Silver Bayonet. Silver Bayonet has eight figures. So you know, I need a doctor, a vampire hunter, uh, an occultist, and then five riflemen. Can I do that? And start small and start simple. For FDM, again, same idea. Uh, don't immediately, there's this temptation with filament printers to fill the build plate. And the problem with that is, first of all, that doesn't get you actually any real efficiency because what limits how fast an FDM printer can print is the actual number of objects that you're doing and how fast the, the print head can travel. So filling a build plate jam-packed worth of stuff doesn't actually help you. It just makes your project very long. And it does mean if you fail, you'll again fail spectacularly. So find a single terrain piece that's something you want to do. So like I happen to really like a couple different companies have like some desert rocks that we're using for, for Necromunda. And just print a rock. Um, find some small single piece just thing you can print um, to sort of get a handle on your printer, see how it works, um, and start going from there. I have a little dragon sculpture from a woman named Luby, who that's who I always use to like test out a new filament um, because it prints fairly fast and like, okay, I have an office full of little dragon prints and that's sort of cute. So, th so something not particularly complicated is, is I think the, the core of my answer. And especially things that are, that lend themselves well to FDM printing. So don't have particularly uh, strong detailed characteristics. So rocks, walls, things like that are I think really good places to get started while you sort of work out the kinks of your printer because they're a little bit more forgiving than something with a lot of very complicated geometry and pieces that have to go together and tiny pieces that if you are off at all and sort of your calibrations will fall off the build plate. Uh, those are those are hard. Those are hard to do. I actually, um, I had one slight idea for like a good kind of stepping stone of like what piece of terrain that will do well in a 3D printer. And my thought was, I was looking over and I might be biased because I'm looking at one, but the quintessential like desert mud brick house, it's a square. Yeah. With a few little bobbles on it. That's a great place to go like, does did I set my printer up correctly? Let's see. Does it make a square? Congratulations, you've made a square. Yeah, and there's a lot of really good files actually for that um, because the difference between Tatooine and North Africa is not much. A couple moisture evaporators and some antennas. Yeah, a couple moisture evaporators. So there's lots of terrain for the various Star Wars games that sort of midi stish. Um, and so yeah, something like that where yeah, you've got you've got a square. There's a lot of simple houses and things like that 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 are again uh, very easy to do and lend themselves well to that type of thing. So yeah, that's a that's a really good example. All right. So now here comes the fun part where you get to dig into your specific uh, specialities. Uh, safety. Yeah. Normally I'd make a joke about safety third, but this time we're doing it. Uh, this is like the fourth question we've asked or fifth. You know, we're close enough. Yeah. Uh, so. 3D printing, like any tool, um, has some dangers that are associated with it. And I think that one of the things that people find is often the case in the 3D printing community is either people are really, really flippant or they're very, very worried about safety. And, you know, it's sort of neither one of those things. Like none of these things are like plug and play, but also they're not like caged demons that are just like waiting to turn on you. So for... Again, we'll talk about both types of printers. For filament printers, the primary hazard comes from the fact that filament needs to be heated up to fairly hot temperatures. So like, I think the coolest that the um, normal 
printer uh, filament that people use for PLA, uh, which is polylactic acid, which is cheap, uh, relatively non-toxic, relatively not stinky, and good for most practical wargaming purposes. Though as a caveat, it also melts relatively easily, so don't leave 3D printed terrain in your car. Um, that still needs to be heated up to like 210 degrees uh, to print it in your um, 3D printer. So uh, your, your print head's hot. Uh, that that nozzle is is hot and if you touch it with bare hands you will wonder why it smells like cooked chicken and then suddenly it will hurt a great deal so really what you're primarily worried about there is is heat so if I have to do something where I have to heat up the nozzle of my printer to like get something unclogged which ideally you uh, sort of heat up the material that's clogged in it you put a acupuncture needle in the nozzle and you sort of move out the now somewhat melty clogged material the problem with that is you will have a torrent of melted plastic that comes out right as you do that so i have a welding glove that's um leather and will will allow me to hold something hot uh safely for some degree of time um i did not do that once and caught a piece of molten plastic with my hand and it hurt a lot um there's also very rarely, but not um, non-zero um, chances of this stuff getting ignition because it's electricity and heat and those two things create fire. Uh, so I, for example, also have my FDM printer hooked up to a um, smart outlet so I can turn it off remotely if I want and just cut power to the whole thing. I have it monitored with a camera so I can watch what it's doing. And I tend not to have it print for very long periods of time when I'm not around. And one thing I do always make sure to do is the uh, the first layer of a FDM print. So when it's putting down that very base foundation layer onto your print bed, that is where I want to say 95% of issues arise. Uh, that's where you will see it not sticking well. That is where you will see it not calibrated correctly. So either the nozzle is too close or too far away and it's getting uh, some print quality issues, things like that. All of that happens in the first couple layers. Uh, I'm always around for that and I always watch those go down to make sure that those are going well. And then like, you know, five or 10 layers in, I start to get a little bit more relaxed and can, you know, go to lunch or whatever. And I'm less worried about it because those, those foundation layers are there. Uh, so that's safety for FDM printers. Resin printers, the primary risk you have is twofold. Uh, we'll talk about the easy one first and then we'll talk about the harder one. Uh, the easy one is all of this needs to be UV cured. Um, don't look at UV lights, they're bad for you. Uh, so when you have a curing station with UV, because you have to, to cure UV resin products, uh, ideally that's behind some sort of shield. So uh, most 3D printer manufacturers sell what are called wash and cure stations. And you put your model inside that, you put a, a hood on it that blocks UV light coming out of it and then you turn the UV lights on. Um, mine, for example, will not turn on unless the cover is on. That's good. Don't look directly at UV lights. Similarly, some diagnostics for UV uh, resin printers have you watch to make sure uh, that the pattern of UV is actually being printed um, and showing up on the screen. Put a piece of paper over the screen so that you're deflecting that light so you're not staring directly at it because you can essentially sunburn your eyes and that you don't you don't want to do that. Uh, if you cringed when I said that, you, you got the right feeling. The other big risk is that the chemical process of bonding the molecules of resin together is a chemical reaction. That resin has some sort of spooky chemistry behind it. And um, the folks who sell like eco-friendly resin are definitely doing everyone a disservice by pretending that making the scary chemicals out of soybeans is like vastly safer. So the two things you want to avoid is it touching your skin at all, uh, because if you come in contact with it, you can develop a rash and over time you can actually develop a sense sensitivity to that resin uh, that will cause you to break out very, very easily in, in very, very uncomfortable rashes. You don't want that. So for example, I always wear gloves when handling everything up to cured resin. I don't touch it with ungloved hands. All the resin is handled on a silicon mat so that if I spill any of it, I can take it out in the sun, have it cured in the sun, and then peel off the cured resin. Um, and basically treat everything as if it's sort of like hot and and not to be touched. And the other part of that is the fumes that get generated by that. Um, one thing that a lot of people focus on is the smell. Smell and chemical safety are not perfectly correlated with each other. Uh, the somewhat flippant shorthand I have for this is farts smell 
carbon monoxide doesn't. Only one of these will kill you. So uh, generally speaking for resin, you want it in a decently ventilated room. So I have it in a room where there I have both a window and a bathroom extractor fan. You want at least a window, you want some ventilation. Uh, you want to keep resin printers warm. So garages are sort of tricky because in the summer they work great and in the winter it's sort of a problem. Uh, but you want to make sure you're in a ventilated room and preferably the room where like kids and animals and um, curious partners who don't know what they're doing can not necessarily accidentally wander into you sort of your process and that's what I that's what I've done with my setup is everything has a clear process we sort of work our way from left to right um and like my dogs are not allowed in that room because the last last thing I need is uh you know one of my beloved idiots licking up spilled resin or something um because every every part of the process is, is sort of a spooky chemical um, so yeah, that's safety. Um, my answer is like, take it seriously, but like if it's if it's actually giving you panic attacks to work with this stuff, don't don't work with it. Um, because one thing we did skip, which is I think really the best advice I can give for 3D printing is the best 3D printer is the one your friend already owns. Uh, so- That is my solution. Uh, like, like, so if it's making you nervous, see if you can find someone who will print it for you or walk you through the steps and things like that and, and help you figure it out. Um, it wouldn't hurt to do everything with a respirator. I tend not to because my space is very well ventilated, but um, if it wasn't, I'd have a VOC respirator on. Uh, so like, yeah. It's, it's a hobby that has some PPE associated with it. Please wear PPE. But really, it's it's mostly gloves and keeping it off your skin and uh, keeping yourself from getting burned. And I only mentioned, like, you know, your day job because you work with far more dangerous things in your day job. On occasion, yes. A, a lot of my habits I picked up working in pathogen labs. And so, like, I just sort of went like, oh, okay, so treating this all like this is the unclean side of my workstation is is a, is a habit that I just learned through through other practices. But yeah. So now, now that we've gotten, like, safety out of the way, what are the mistakes you can make easily at the start? Like, the, the little things that it will screw you up that you know you don't want to waste the time learning those mistakes yeah um that's a that's a good question i think the answer is both fdm and resin printers have calibration that needs to be done don't skip the calibration it's boring nobody wants to do it but you need to um so for fdm printers that's primarily getting the bed level so that uh your nozzle is a uniform distance from the uh, print surface and making sure your printer knows what that distance is. There's some swanky new printers now that do that for you automatically, but even some very high-end printers don't do that. And getting that dialed in so that you're, you're the right amount of distance from your print bed is sort of that important first step because that what gives you that's what gives you that good adhesion that makes sure that that first layer stays on the print bed where it's supposed to be and goes down smooth. Getting smooth first layers is critical um, because what happens if you don't do that is the first layer comes loose the printer comes the the print you have comes loose it usually if it's big it falls down if it's sort of wide it sort of slides around and one of two things happens one is called a bird's nest or spaghetti which is just it starts printing it basically takes filament and extrudes new thinner useless filament out that's actually the good one because that's just a mess uh the other one is called the ball the blob of doom which is where that filament that's being spun out as spaghetti loops back and attaches it really attaches itself and cools on the nozzle and then what happens is you're essentially you get a blob building up around your nozzle that depending on how long it goes can sort of spread out and push apart your uh the cooling fan that's on there the various delicate wires that are near the print head all of those things get covered in plastic that then hardens and that's a pain to fix uh i have had two of those in my time 3D printing, uh, one of them is that's where I, I burnt myself by accident. And both of them are somewhat hair-raising and like the least the least fun thing in 3D printing is like coming back to the train piece you were looking forward to and instead you've got like now an hour's worth of work slowly helping little bits of molten plastic melt off wires without damaging them. Um, so that's really the, the mistake with, with FDM printers is not really devoting yourself to that good first layer. And then as I mentioned, watching that first layer go down to make sure you detect if anything's wrong because things will sort of fall out of calibration over time. For resin printers, sort of very similar. The two things you need to do for calibration are one is leveling the bed, which is again, as I mentioned, so that that build plate that's coming down, when it touches the film that separates uh, the screen and the build plate where the resin lives, that that's all a uniform distance because if it's not, 
um, bad things happen. And what essentially you have is parts of your build plate will have the fully cured models the way you're expecting to. Parts of them will have sort of malformed goo. Malformed goo, not good. Uh, that's the first one. The other one is called exposure testing which is when uh, you shine that UV light to cure the resin, different resins have different properties to them and will need curing at different speeds. So for example, I have a resin I use for character models. Uh, I will probably use it for any Napoleonic I ever um, print, things like that. Things where there are thin, snappable pieces. So bayonets, swords, things like that. This resin is nice and a little bit flexible, so it gives you a little bit of leeway before things start to snap. Uh, that resin takes a long time to cure. It's very viscous, um, and it just takes a long time to cure. Other resins are designed to cure very fast, and those are often uh, good for fast printing. Um, because the primary uh, time in your, your printing process is how long that exposure is. If you underexpose something, your resin won't cure and you'll get malformed goo. And if you overexpose something, what you'll get is you'll get uh, softened details. Everything will feel a little bit blurry because not only did the like the one pixel that was supposed to be there, but some of the pixels around it got a little bit there because light bleeds, it's not perfect. Uh, so you want neither overexposure nor underexposure, you want sort of perfect exposure. And there are exposure tests uh, you need to run those and get those dialed in for every single resin you have for your printer. Uh, there's lots of good places to start online. People maintain like Google Sheets of, of printer resin combinations and their exposure standards, but it's sort of a thing you need to do for yourself a little bit. The final big easy mistake to make with a resin printer is when you fail, and you will fail for some reason, your supports won't be strong enough and a model won't will do things, etc. What you're likely to get is What's actually happened is, is when that build plate comes down and you are exposing resin to both the plastic sheet and the build plate and the build plate pulls up, it's supposed to win that tug of war. Sometimes it doesn't. And so what will happen is pieces of resin will get cured uh, rather hard on your film. If you have any failures, so if something doesn't print right, if you don't see a model that was supposed to be on your belt, plate like if you have you know 10 um you know vikings on your plate and when you take it off you've only got nine uh you need to empty your resin in the the vat in your printer back into the bottle preferably using a funnel and uh with a painter's funnel in it to catch any cured resin and then you're gonna see potentially chunks of resin cured to your your surface here your fep film with a gloved hand like very gently press those from the bottom and try to get them to pop off because what you need is you need to get those off because otherwise what will, what will happen the next time you print is your build plate will come down. It will come down onto that piece of plastic and force it down. And uh, the consequences of that are super exciting. So if you tear that film, you will have resin leak onto your screen and then cure on your screen. Uh, you can crack your screen. Uh, all of these things are bad and uh, potentially like potentially won't ruin your printer, but will be a very bad and potentially somewhat expensive day. Uh, so every time you have an error where you think something might be on the surface of your film, you gotta empty it out and, and clear that film out uh, because that's, that's a sort of how you go from this is a little bit uh, inconvenient to this is a lot bit inconvenient. And there's nothing like following up on a failed print with a, now another failed print that tore your film and now you don't know what to do. Uh, so yeah, those are the easy first time mistakes. I know this sounds daunting. There are lots and lots and lots of videos online uh, that can sort of help you learn how to do all this. Uh, but yeah, those are, the, those are the easy mistakes. So now that you go, okay, I want to do this. I know what things to kind of look out for and avoid. But then you click open and you look and you see 40 different options for each of these. So uh, what printer do I push the button for? Hypothetically, in case my partners are listening. Yeah, so so hypothetically, yeah, hypothetically speaking, um, if I haven't scared you away at this point, there are a couple different recommendations. Um, for resin printers, um, there are two sort of dominant manufacturers. There's Anycubic and there's Elegoo. I have a marginal bias towards Elegoo for reasons I don't fully understand, but those two produce probably 90% of the resin printers Wargamers own. And um, I am convinced that 
people who play and print miniatures are a big enough market for resin printing that we're actually a substantial percentage of the total number of resin printers sold. Uh, there's a lot more miniatures and figures that show up on that than there is like wargaming terrain on FDM printers. So any Cubic or Elegu, uh, essentially pick one of their newer models in the size you're looking for. Uh, again, for starters, I recommend their uh, smaller sort of sizes. So that's the Anycubic Photon range and the Elegu Mars range are sort of the good size printers. Uh, the resin printing industry moves pretty fast and uses a lot of commodity hardware. So there's a lot of offerings out there. Um, and there's a lot of people trying to come up with new ways to distinguish their product when the primary question is the size of the screen and the uh, fidelity of the screen. I am not a professional 3D printing reviewer. 3D printing companies don't send me their printers for review. Uh, they do send them to a guy called Fohammer on uh, YouTube. And uh, he does very excellent reviews of 3D printing with an eye towards miniatures painting um, and miniature figures. So he's, he's a good source for genuinely quality reviews, including ones where like, he's like, no, this isn't, this isn't worth what I think you guys are trying to do. Uh, you're emphasizing speed too much and I don't actually care about speed, things like that. So um, when in doubt, I would like sort of dial in on what one I wanted to purchase and then I check Fohammer and see if, if he's reviewed it. Personally, I use a um, printing brand called Epax. I like them for a couple reasons. Their build quality is really good. Um, a lot of 3D printers are largely plastic. Epax comes in a nice reassuring metal chassis. Um, it's also an American-made company, um, but this is, I will admit, an affectation at this point. Um, they are not doing a great job keeping up with the market. So at this point, um, if I had to recommend something to somebody, I'd say do an, an Anycubic or an Elegoo printer. For FDM, there's a lot more choices. Uh, the FDM printing market is more, more mature. Uh, it's been going for a while, um, and it's got a lot of different offerings in it. Uh, the sort of cheap beginner's printer that a lot of people point to is the Ender 3 uh, from a company called Creality. Uh, the Ender 3 is a fine machine and it's cheap. Isn't it like under 200 last time I checked, I think? Yeah, it's like under $200. If you're near a micro center, they have sales on it all the time. Uh, it is very cheap. It is a tinkerer's machine. Uh, your, your Ender 3 will not come with the bed level, will not really do much of anything. You'll have to manually do a bunch of that stuff. Uh, there are all kinds of aftermarket add-ons for the Ender 3. If you want a machine that you can tinker with and uh, wants a community that will help you really get that machine dialed in well, and uh, like the idea of this is a project uh, really excites you, the Ender 3. Um, I mean, not to throw too much shade. If you like Linux, you're gonna like an Ender. Yeah, yeah, if you like Linux, if you like, if you like just the idea of like, yeah, but what if I push this one step further? What if my printer made parts to make my printer better? Um, those type of things, the Ender is great for. And it is a machine that is that prints to a quality disproportionate to its price. So that's sort of the cheap, the dirt cheap end. The good cheap intro end, I would say, is there's a company called Bamboo Labs um, that really, really shook up the 3D printing market about a year ago. Um, they came up with some very fast, very modern machines that I think took everybody a little bit by surprise. This is the one you sent, or is this one you sent me, or did you send me the other Bamboo Labs that you have on the list? Um, I believe I sent you this one. Okay. This is my, if you have a reasonable budget, and I think it's now $5.99, this is the printer I would tell you to buy because it does a lot of the things that make 3D printing hard automatically. That bit I talked about, about making sure the bed is level and that the printer knows where the nozzle is in comparison to the bed, done. Uh, it just does it for you and it knows how to do it. Um, it's got a decent community to support behind it. That is one of the things with 3D printing is you're likely looking at mostly community support. The P1P is fast, it is good quality, and the things the more expensive Bamboo Labs printers do, most wargamers don't care about. So uh, a lot of people talk about the ability to use more exotic materials than PLA. So something like ABS, which is uh, a styrene or um, things like that. 99% of my printing for wargaming is PLA. The P1P, really good printing PLA. It can take the multi-color, really cool multi-material system that Bamboo Labs does if you want that, but you don't have to do that. It is a printer that automates out most of the hard parts while still being pretty cheap. Other 
products on this list that are things I have personally used. Uh, the Lulzbot Sidekick is uh, a printer made by uh, a company called Lulzbot, aptly. Uh, it's American made, which is nice for um, some folks. Uh, it is of an older style. It is, compared to the Bamboo Labs printers, it's pretty slow. It too does automatic bed leveling, but you do have to figure out where the nozzle is in relationship to the bed. Um, the reasons I like the Bamboo, uh, sorry, the Bamboo Labs, the Lulzbot printers are they are bomb-proof. Uh, they're extremely durable printers. They're well-built. They're in a, a pretty firm chassis. Uh, if I had to pick a printer for like a classroom space or a maker space or a wargaming club where I was expecting things to get treated a little bit poorly because they're shared property, I might pick a Lulzbot just because they are they're durably made machines. The other nice part about them is they're a very small company at this point. So uh, like if you need support, you're gonna talk to the people who designed the thing. Um, and that's that's nice. Um, so I have used those personally. I have on Variance Hammer, I have reviews of both the two, the Lulzbot Sidekick 289 and the 747, which are their sort of small and big versions of their Sidekick printer, which is again, I'd, again the one I'd recommend for, for hobbyists. Um, they have some machines that uh, push the sort of prosumer uh, market. Uh, if you're like a cosplayer or something like that, where the idea of printing out an entire breastplate is appealing, maybe one of their bigger printers, but I like the Lulzbot printers. Um, they do have an interesting sort of quirk to them that they use a slightly larger nozzle, which means they're slightly less good at detail, but they print things that aren't detailed very fast. So I, for example, for a friend, churned out a bunch of sort of modular river tiles on a Lulzbot because it just it just prints fast. Also, whatever material Wellsbot uses for their print beds is like preternaturally sticky and great. Um, it's a little bit more forgiving in terms of that, that leveling process. The generic example and the generic advice up to about a year ago for I have a higher budget, what should I buy, was the Prusa Mark III at that point, S plus, but the Prusa Mark III S plus. This is the one that got supplanted by the Bamboo Lab stuff? Yes, this this was the king of the hill, and then uh, Bamboo Labs came for them. Prusa now has the Mark IV, which is a new version of their classic design, and it's a classic for a reason. Uh, Prusa is a little bit spendier. I think it's, I wanna say $1,300 for the kit version, um, a little bit more for the assembled version, or I might have gotten that wrong. Um, I will actually check that now, because we have the internet. So yeah, excellent radio while I type things in. You're amazing, Ari. The, as I said, Ari is best Ari. So yeah, the uh, the Mark IV printer is 1099, which isn't actually all that bad. Uh, and then the kit is uh, 799. So that's actually a little bit cheaper than it used to be. Uh, the sort of Prusa mainline printers used to be. It's a little bit spendier. Um, it's a classic design. They've done some things that should make it faster, but those are sort of still in beta testing. They've got some very clever new technology for, again, bed leveling and figure out the height. This is again, another like, this printer will do a lot of things for you. Prusas are workhorse printers. Prusa prints their printers on their printers and they are very reliable. Uh, the Prusa Mark S is what I have. Um, I do not treat it nearly as well as I should, and it just goes. Um, and it just does does what it says on the tin. Uh, so it's a somewhat older, less fashionable sort of system. It's called a bed slinger, which means the print bed moves around while the head doesn't move very much, versus uh, the bamboo labs are what are called core XY machines, which means the plate stays still and the head moves on X and Y. So it's a it's an somewhat older technology. It'll be a little bit slower than the bamboo labs machines but they are open source they are very reliable printers and um the support for them is pretty good uh, they have live support 24 7 with real human beings they're manufactured in europe in i believe the czech republic uh so similarly if that matters to you there you go i mean once again shout out to our one czech listener yeah yeah, like if you want to just go down to the Prusa factory and be like, can I please have a printer? I'm sure they'll do that for you. Finally, on the upper end of the market is the Bamboo Labs X1 Carbon. This is the printer that came and usurped the Prusa throne. It is wildly fast, good quality. It's got a very cool stainless steel enclosure uh, for a little bit more money. There's a multiple multi-material system so you can print in like different colors or different materials. Uh, super cool, all the features. It's got like LiDAR to tell you if like extrusions are going wrong and all kinds of stuff. It's got all the bells and whistles. And for a printer that, got, that has all the bell 
bells and whistles, it's not that expensive. It is again, it's it's the high end of what you're looking for. The X1 series is sort of the cream of the crop and it comes in at uh, the carbon with no multi-material system is $1,200. With the multi-material system is uh, $1,450 basically. I think for most wargaming material, this is overkill. Um, I would buy a P1P for 600 bucks, which is basically what if the X1 carbon, but all the cool stuff pulled out of it. Uh, and I think that a lot of the things the X1 Carbon does, so the ability to print exotic materials with the, the enclosure and things like that, aren't things that most people printing primarily for wargaming care about. On the other hand, if you're sort of justifying this as a tool where like, oh, but I also want to build stuff for RC cars or drones or little pieces for engineering stuff, then you're probably printing in a lot of different materials and this may be worthwhile for you. But that's kind of as high end as I would go because after that you get into like prosumer printers that are really expensive and, and arguably I think not worth it. So yeah, that's my list of printers that I either have experience with or that are sort of the community standards of choice. And slight side note to go back, uh, Sophie, our one Czech listener. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you for listening, Sophie. Anyway, so continuing on, we have... So, cool. I have the printer I want. I've got it. I put it down. I've got it plugged in. I've got it all set up. Where do I get files to print on this sucker? Where do I get files to print? This is the other big question. So, there's a couple places to get started. The first one is Yegi, Y-E-G-G-I, which is basically Google for 3D printing files. So, most 3D printing files are what are called STLs, which is just the extension uh, for the file format. Yegi's a search engine, and so it will find things for you and then go to places. There are a couple different sources that are um, decent. MyMiniFactory.com is sort of currently the dominant one. If you are a D&D player, this place is the best. Um, they have all the miniatures for various fantasy campaigns and things like that. Uh, lots of miniatures for terrain. Um, their sort of historicals offerings are a little bit trickier. There are a couple really good stores on my mini factory though. With... Yeah, there are a couple really good stores. So there's one that's doing a whole thing on the Reconquista. That's that's great. There's there's definitely some that are great, but like it's definitely dominated by so you need bugbears for your D&D campaign. But that's okay because the D&D players are keeping the rest of us um, you know, in business. Uh, so that's my mini factory is where I would go for uh, like sort of my first stop to check. For models and for... Yeah, for models. You're not going to find much in the way of big pieces of terrain on there. And if you are, those STLs are going to be like a lot. Yeah, um, they tend to be somewhat expensive. They also tend to be, again, somewhat fantasy oriented. So like the trees all have faces, um, things like that. So there's a couple other places I lean on very heavily. One is called Printable Scenery, which is a company that makes what it says on the tin, Printable Scenery. They are great for um, terrain. And most of the terrain that we print in our club comes from Printable Scenery. They have a French farmhouse that is definitely not a famous French farmhouse in uh, Waterloo. They have uh, a number of sort of bombed out World War II buildings. They have a very Norman style uh, thing. They have a lot of Kickstarters. And importantly, after the Kickstarter is done, you can go back and buy the Kickstarter and just have the package. Uh, the reason I like them is they are very good. Their stuff rescales very well. It's very intelligently designed. Uh, one of my tips for uh, 3D printing is find people who are making things meant to be 3D printed, not knockoffs of injected and molded plastic kits. Uh, this comes up much more if you're in the like 40K space, but like if you're trying to get knockoffs of Games Workshop terrain, uh, it's harder to get that looking good than it is to just start with something that's supposed to be 3D printed. Uh, so they've got a lot of different eras up from up to like World War II down to um, stuff that's definitely uh, historicals. Right now, for example, I am working through my collection from them, printing everything I could possibly need for silver bayonets. Um, their stuff works really well. Our road kits that if you um, notice there's roads on our uh, on some of our sort of cover art, those are from printable scenery. Love printable scenery. 
great people. InfiniteDimensions.ca is another one I've gone to. They have a very cool sort of kit for an abbey, a very cool kit for a sort of tavern complex, so sort of like a roadside inn. This is where the church comes from? That, Or is that also printable scenery? This is, that's also principal, printable scenery. There is a church I will someday print from Infinite Dimensions. Their stuff is a little bit more detailed and a little bit um, fussier and a little bit more expensive. One of the keys to STLs and how you uh, buy them is no one's quite sure what an STL is worth. Um, and so the pricing for this uh, varies pretty dramatically. Um, Infinite Dimensions has a lot of sales. They have a sale going on right now, actually, that's like 30% off. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, I really like their... Um, terrain. There's um, another site that isn't in the show notes, but is here called Digital Taxidermy. They have a lot of stuff for World War II. Um, and then a lot of stuff if you're interested in like Fallout and sort of post-apocalyptic or sort of Necromunda type stuff. Those are good companies that like pretty reliably make good things. Um, if you're interested in uh, samurai terrain, if you're a, you know, test of honor guy or uh, uh, something like that. 3D Alien Worlds, which I know sounds like not a place to go for historicals. Uh, they've been doing a great set of samurai themed terrain. Uh, that I have also been buying a bunch of, not for any samurai game, but because I've decided that's what the inner palace on Terra looks like for Horus Harris. A special shout out to someone I found via Sonic Sledgehammer and then uh, have promptly bought some stuff for is uh, a company called Piano War Games, which makes sets for the early like 1809 era Napoleonics, especially Germans. Um, so if you want, Obscure German troops, uh, 3D printable piano war games is your answer. I have their Austrians, they're great. Uh, they will make up the Austrians for, at the very least, my Silver Bayonet Warband. Very possibly some Austrians in the future for something else. They are, again, on the spendy side because their logic is definitely, this is the only set you will ever need to print thousands of 28 millimeter Bavarians or whatever. Um, and so they're priced sort of accordingly, that like, we're only gonna get you once. Um, so their, their STLs are a little bit more expensive. They're very good quality. Uh, I've been very impressed with them. The last and most expensive advice I have is just to stop Kickstarter. Um, there are a lot of Kickstarters and a lot of them are very cool. So there's ones for terrain, uh, there's ones for for figures. Right now I'm backing both a campaign for U.S. Marines and then also Canadians in the um, Second World War. Uh, there's lots of STLs out there for um, kickstarting. Uh, there's some good Viking stuff, etc. Uh, there's lots of files out there. The good news about historicals is they're no one's IP. So like no one owns the copyright to what an M4 Sherman looks like. Uh, so there are lots of Patreons and stuff like that um, that are producing tanks, especially World War II is very well represented. Uh, Napoleonic's not so much, uh, but World War II is wildly well represented. So um, one of the best things is to just go to, as I said, Yegi, Google the thing you're looking for, and you will probably get some figures for it. Um, there are, there's a lot out there. Um, but yeah, that's where I get started. One second, I'm, I'm giving it a shot. I'm testing it real quick. Okay, yeah, they do have something I was looking for. Out of curiosity, what were you looking for? What did you find? Um, I was looking for some, like, engineering vehicles. And they had some engineering vehicles. Yeah, you'll find people. Um, this is, again, Facebook, Reddit, sort of, you know, hey, does anybody know anybody who does a thing? Uh, there's a lot of community stuff, but a lot of it's out there. So next up on the list that we have is kind of a easy starter sets. Like, where, what's a good, like, is there other, other good package deals to pick up to go kind of, this is what I need, you know? Yeah, I think the answer to that is there are a bunch depending on what you want to do. Um, so there's a lot of companies that will sell as part, usually as part of a Kickstarter, a bundle um, and sort of pick a time for your bundle and go for it. So if you're doing uh, the Hundred Years War or you're doing anything sort of in Norman Britain, um, all the way up until, you know, sort of modern Britain. Printable Scenery ran a Kickstarter called For King and Country. Just buy the package for King and Country and you will have more than you ever want for that period. Um, similarly, they have a series of Time Warp ones. They have like a World War II one. That'll give you all the 101st Airborne sculpting around France uh, that you can want. I mentioned the Digital Taxidermy people. They have a Wild West uh, set that again is like if you're playing what a cowboy buy that print all the buildings and you've got 
all the scenery you're gonna need. So generally speaking, that's that's where I'd start is I'd try printable scenery first because they have a lot. And then from there, I'd sort of branch out and really do just look for those Kickstarter bundles. Those tend to be decently priced. They're often pretty heavily discounted from buying them all at once, like piecemeal, and often include sort of everything right. you need. And then kind of like if you're having issues with a printer and STL, there is a pretty good community for essentially all of that, right? Yeah, so in terms of where to get help, um, the answer is if you've got a Wellsbot or Prusa printer, uh, get in touch with Lilsbot or Prusa first. Um, they can probably help you. For almost everyone else, the answer is community support. And that's usually some mix of Facebook and Reddit. Um, those communities are pretty good. One of the things that sort of I look for in a 3D printer is I sort of skulk on some of the Facebook groups and see if the community is supportive or not. And that's really what you're looking for is, is a lot of people will help there. Uh, you will also get some snarky people and some people who think they're um, cleverer than they are because it is the internet. But um, that's really what you're looking for is getting help is... Uh, there's also some 3D printing Discord groups. Um, those can be really helpful too. Um, I find those often somewhat less helpful because they're not necessarily brand specific. And so a lot of things are sort of quirks of a specific brand, but like um, Lulzbot, Prusa, Bamboo, Creality, Algo, Inicubic, um, all of these have, even Epacs, have communities associated with them uh, who can help you, who can troubleshoot for you, uh, who can sort of get you on your way. I've used them uh, when I was demoing the uh, Sidekick 289 from uh, Lulzbot. I was having an issue with something and someone was like, oh yeah, your, your feed rate's too low. Try this. And I did and it worked. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of support out there. Uh, it is mostly community-based um, because a lot of these companies are uh, based in China and uh, are saving a lot of money by not having a particularly robust support uh, system. I have heard through the grapevine, although I do not own either printer, that Elegoo is slightly better at support than Anycubic. Um, but yeah, uh, generally speaking, a lot, of, a lot of your help will be community support. Again, this is a good, uh, even if you're buying a printer, the best 3D printer is the one your friend already owns because they've already probably broken it and fixed it. Um, so you can do a little bit of like, hey, so did you have this problem? And like, oh yeah, this is what this does. You need to remember to do X. They say that this is for this, but it really doesn't work all that well, etc. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really based on the community, but Facebook and Reddit are the two primary places to go. All right. And then, so kind of we're coming to the end of our little introduction to 3D printing. And so kind of, I put on here on the notes, uh, good or bad, like, I think it's it's pretty obvious it's good. Like, this is a net boon for the community. And like, some people are like, oh, it's going to kill, like, sculpting. It's like, no, it's not. Because it's still a pain in, that, pain in the ass to print 12 models. And then, you know, I look around at my Napoleonic army and I see, like, the 200 models. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not printing that shit. Like, that's just not going to happen. So there's always going to be a use case for metals, resin, like traditional casting stuff. Yeah, I think one of the keys is there's this there's this meme that exists, you know, 3D printer go bird, that is primarily targeted at, you know, the larger manufacturers like Games Workshop and like, oh, you guys are going to go obsolete. I can just 3D print my whole army. Um, as you said, I'm like, despite owning STLs for a bunch of um, Austrians, I'm not going to 3D print them all. I'm going to... You're going to buy the Perry box. I'm going to buy something from the Perry Brothers. Uh, and the reason for that is, A, I like that the Perry Brothers are out there sculpting, but also just like my time is valuable and I can order 40 uh, Austrian infantry from my computer and they will show up at a time and then I will assemble them and they will look good. And I think 3D printing, especially resin 3D printers, have improved by leaps and bounds. But I still don't think they're at the quality of quality injection molded plastic. Um, so I think that 3D printers are great for special characters, war bands, skirmish games, things like that, where you want somebody special. So for example, um, the, the silver bayonet uh, war bands I'm working on, every single war band in there has a 3D printed character surrounded by plastic line infantry from someone's Napoleonics range. Um, and that's, I think, where a lot of this comes in is, is, you know, officers, cool figures, casualty figures. And I think this is one of the reasons that I am a little bit more passionate about FDM printing and its place in the hobby than I am about resin printing, is there's a huge amount of creativity in terrain. And I think that's really cool because I think you can get really interesting looking battlefields in ways that if you're not particularly crafty or aren't in a setting, and I'm not in a setting where like, 
hey, I bought like $300 worth of insulation foam that I'm gonna start carving up is a thing that's gonna fly. Um, you can build uh, really cool boards uh, very easily and relatively cheaply that look pretty unique and are things that you're like, oh, I haven't seen that before. Or like, hey, for this battle, like like I said, for the, again, for Silver Bayonet, which is just what's on my mind right now. I read the second adventure and it says we should have a ruined barn. So I went to my collection from Printable Scenery's King and Country range um, and they've got three different ruined barns and I picked one and I printed it and now I have a ruined barn. And so I think it's really good for Getting around that thing that I think uh, hurts immersion a little bit in wargaming, where you want the scenario to be something and you say like, okay, we're going to pretend this building is actually this slightly different building. Uh, with 3D printing, you can actually just print that building. Uh, you can be like, yeah, this is the same building, but ruined. Cool, great. Um, you know, we've returned to that setting. So I think that's one of the really cool things and one of the things that has been able uh, to really sort of ignite my uh, passion for terrain and terrain building and building really cool boards is the amount of stuff that you can get out of 3D printing. Um, and so that's, I think, where its biggest use case for me is, is making boards really come alive. And then, yeah, like my uh, five parsecs from home sort of collection uh, is entirely 3D printed because like I roll up what I'm supposed to be fighting and then go, oh, okay, I need rat men with laser guns. Um, who makes rat men with laser guns? And it turns out um, somebody does. Uh, so yeah, I think that's much, much more where the use case is rather than just like, hey, I'm gonna print, like Warlord is going to go out of business because I'm going to print all the, you know, tanks and all the, you know, Napoleonic infantry, et cetera, et cetera. That's, ain't nobody got time for that. And it's just faster and I think better uh, from uh, most sort of major, uh, you know, major manufacturers at this point. So yeah, like I said, uh, if I'm trying to put out massive bulks of Napoleonic infantry, I'm just gonna order it from the Perry Brothers. Yeah. And I mean, kind of, that's a pretty good segue into like, you know, things we've used that are 3D printed in our historical adventures, which is essentially all the terrain that we have. Because I have said, you know, mentioned not French farmhouse uh, from Principal Scenics. Uh, I have that currently on my floor. It is done. So it's in the box and it's done. Then I also have a big old box full of uh, for king and country or for country and king, uh, sorry, uh, walls. To use that um, I grabbed from the club that I'm going to be priming up and working on when the weather is less crap. A little bit more amenable to priming. Yeah. But then, like, the roads that we use both in our, like, uh, Necromunda stuff and in our historicals. And I know you just finished printing up, like, a field with a wall around yep. it. Yep. Yep. It's just a farm field with a wall around it. And yes, I could build that out of, you know, clay or green stuff or something like that and floor carpet sampler or i can tell the machine to make it out of plastic and like call me in the morning um and so that's that's been really nice the other uh use case i have for it that um doesn't come up readily obviously is i have a bunch of hobby tools that are 3d printed so um the movement trays i have for my uh Pycon's Lament Force, those are, and indeed yours, are 3D printed because they are custom dimensions the way we wanted them to be. Um, those are 3D printed. I have what I call project cups, which are just, I got, at some point I was part of one of those, you know, subscription boxes that would send me uh, 50 grams of filaments in various colors and things like that. Uh, I built a cup that is roughly 50 grams of material. They are all over my hobby space because that's how I organize things is it just gets a cup and everything for a particular project or like all the pieces for something go in a cup. Um, I have uh, what I call painting sticks, which are just sticks with a little pad so I can hold them with my thumb that um, I use for airbrushing. So I blue tack a piece of something to that and I airbrush that so my hands aren't always different colors. Uh, I have little stands that organize my paints and uh, keep my bottle of known oil from tipping over like in the memes. All of those things are like, oh, I want this thing. Uh, firing up, there's a program called Tinkercad that's a very easy uh, design tool to use that then exports to STL files. I throw it on my printer and like 45 minutes later, I've got something. Um, and that's been a really fun part of the hobby for me and has enabled some things um, that I otherwise, you know, would have figured out how to do, but are things that I uh, have uh, had a lot more luck with given I can 3D print just a little thing that solves my problem. Yeah. And, you know, this is where I also make my glib joke of like, I'd love to have a 3D printer, but uh, 
I've been told no. Yeah. Uh, so just use mine. Exactly. I'm just somewhere in the queue. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, I, I do need to do a survey of who I have said I would print things for and what am I printing now that I am emerging from the, the Nova haze. Yeah. Uh, because everybody everybody got bumped for tiny little spacemans to put on various Titan bases for a bit. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's there's lots of things uh, to print. But yeah, I think I think terrain and tools are the ones that I'm the most excited about. Yeah. And they're just like always like fantastic to play over because like, yeah, you're going to see the layer lines, but it's terrain. You're not paying that close attention to it. You're not paying that close attention to it. There's a lot of um, ways to hide the lines. So if you're printing something like rocks or brick walls or things like that, you can design around the lines. But the other thing that I've been doing a lot with is various like texture paints and texture paste. Because if you just slather that on, you'll the layer lines are not what you're going to notice. Um, so like all our roads, if you've seen the layer lines, all the paint has fallen off. And then we have a different problem. But yeah, there's lots of ways to, to sort of hide those layer lines. And that is one of the nice parts about 3D printing for wargaming is you are going to paint it, you are going to prime it, you are going to do things with it. So there's a lot of transformation that can be done and a lot of techniques that you can use to really bring out the details of the terrain that aren't the layer lines. All right. So I think that's a, probably a pretty good place to end it. So uh, since we're reaching the end, it is time to... Uh, where else can they find you, Eric? if they want to bug you about 3D printing and or see the things we do. All right. If you want to see the things we do, bug me about 3D printing or talk to me about really anything else. I am on Twitter, aka the Hateful Bird site at at Variance Hammer. Um, I'm now also on Blue Sky at uh, Variance Hammer as well because uh, Twitter is dying. Uh, I am... Uh, Speaking of, you should, uh, if you got an invite. I will I will toss you an invite when I get my, my next round of invites, which will be soon. Less. Uh, I also do a second podcast. If you want to hear me talk about 40K, uh, I uh, co-host a podcast with uh, Brian from formerly of the Splinter Mind podcast, called Lost to the Nails. Um, this most recent week, we're talking about 10th edition and what we're hoping to see out of, uh, what is it, Legions Imperialis, or the thing everyone is calling Epic. Uh, so yeah, uh, you can find me on all of those. Uh, and yeah, that's a, that's about it for me. Calvin, if they were looking for you, where'd they find you? I mean, you can find me on the sick man of the internet, aka Twitter, at uh, Brushes and Jazz. And also through there, you can find me uh, streaming every week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays over on twitch.tv slash nevermorepainting. Right now, the current project is until I get it done, the sharp practice. Then after that, uh, it might be Agincourt time. So I can keep mispronouncing French things to annoy people. Not on purpose this time. Like, it's just because I'm very bad at pronouncing French. Hey everybody, this is Calvin from the future. Just wanted to let you know that uh, we actually forgot to do something in that episode, which was thank our lovely staff that we have working with us. There is the lovely Ari, who we have to say thank you to for doing all the editing and making us sound professional. And also a big thank you to our artist, Space Art Punk on Twitter and on Twitch. They do all the art that you see for the show, all the various logos you're going to see around, and potentially soon, dice for merch. All right. Hope y'all have a good night. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you next month. <laughs>